yes, you can have a seat. I'm glad you're with us, however it is that you're joining us today. Um, and uh, that song is kind of what we're talking about in the book of James here. Uh, we started last week in this series. It's about building a life of faith. And we ended the, the sermon last week with this question, are you ready for your faith in Jesus to change everything? That's what James believes. He's trying to teach us and guide us into here's what it means to build a life on faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm excited you're with us as we dive into that. As uh, Kyle mentioned, we only got through one verse last week. Today, we're going to get through 11 verses. So uh, three and a half hours from now, when we wrap up, it's going to be really good. So, no, I'm kidding. Um, if you have a Bible, find your way to James chapter 1. I want to set up what James is going to talk to us about, the first subject he's going to tackle in his letter guiding us with a little story. My oldest son, Carter, he is 19 years old. Um, when Carter was born, he was 10 pounds at birth, and he was almost like 24 inches. So, like, that's a big kid, right? I mean, that's a toddler, not a baby. He came out as a toddler. Now, I should know that's a big kid. I was 10 pounds, 6 ounces when I was born. So, not that it's a contest, but if it was, Carter, your dad wins. Um, I probably should have mentioned that to you, Becky, when we were dating or considering marriage and kids, all that stuff. But water under the bridge, point is, Carter is a big kid when he was born, from the day he was born. So uh, at some point, probably around uh, four or five, I think we have a picture of Carter at that age. If you are in the room, this is a life-size picture. This is actually how big he was. Um, just kidding. Um, so when he was around that age, we take Carter to the doctor to get his shots, right? You know, kids get shots. So uh, we take him into the exam room, and the doctor, like a total amateur, walks into the room holding the needles like this. And Carter sees the needles, he puts two and two together, and he becomes unglued, like just screaming and yelling like like someone is out to get him like he was yelling so loudly and it was so over the top I look over at my wife and I could tell she's about to laugh so she's like excuse me and she leaves and I'm in the room by myself people are like coming out of their rooms what is happening in this hospital or it's not a hospital but doctor's office um, and I'm left in the room with Carter and this doctor and he's got to get two shots now, uh, my job is, Dad, was to, like, hold him down so the doctor can give him these shots. It doesn't take very long, but that, that was what I had to do. Now, I was a full-grown man. I'm still a full-grown man. But back then, I also was a full-grown man. And Carter was a toddler, okay? And I am confident I am stronger than most toddlers, but not that day. I mean, he was yelling and kicking and screaming, and I'm trying to, like, like hug him in place like this so the doctor can give him these uh, shots in his legs, and there was something about just the sheer terror and the adrenaline gave him superhuman strength, and I just about could not hold him down. Um, it took a little bit of doing, but as is always the case with shots... The anticipation, far worse than the actual shots. So at some point, the doctor, you know, has him somewhat like he's not moving enough, and he's like, boom, boom, and it was over, right? And in that instance, I just scoop him up, 
in my arms, and I say, all done, no more shots. And he says, no more shots. And I said, no more shots. And he just melts into my arms, and it was so sweet. Um, got to hold him for a few seconds, and he was just uh, totally calm after a few seconds. Everything was fine. Now, imagine, as an adult, Carter comes to me and says, Dad, I have this memory. I just remembered this. And it was vivid. And the memory is this. It is of me being really scared, me being really terrified, and you holding me down so that somebody else could hurt me. How could you have ever done that, Dad? How could you have let that happen to me? I would be devastated, right? I would be heartbroken if he said that to me. And why? Because there was nothing in that moment that had anything to do with me as a dad wanting my son to feel pain. In fact, if I could have taken that pain for him, I absolutely would have. That's not why I let him get shots, because I wanted to hurt him, right? We took him to the doctor to get shots because he is our son and we love him and we want him to grow to be a healthy adult. And while it hurt for a little bit and it made his little heart afraid for a moment, I was right there with him and I wasn't holding him down so much as I was protecting him. And I was holding him so that he would know that he wasn't alone in that necessary moment of pain. We know this, parents who love their kids and want them to become healthy, functioning adults, out of their love, sometimes allow something into that child's life that the child does not understand or like. Because good parents are aiming for the day that their kids will become adults. And they're aiming for that day, not for today. And so parents do shots, which every kid hates, so they won't get sick because we know that the sickness or the disease would do more lasting damage for the kid than the temporary shot. So out of my deep love for Carter, out of my desire for him to grow healthy, I held him down and let the doctor give him a shot. Do you think that God, our Heavenly Father, would love you and I any differently? Here's what we need to know about God today. This is what James is going to tell us. God really, really, really wants you to grow strong and healthy in your faith. That is what he is aiming for. God doesn't just want you to have faith. That was never the deal. Believe in me. Great. Now just figure it out. No, that was never the deal. What he wants is to create in you something that is special that is strong. He sees what one day you will become, and that means he might love you enough to allow something in your life that you will not understand or like so that you can grow into that thing that you were always destined to be. That's what James thinks we need to understand about God. The great theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, those who follow Jesus are not supposed to simply survive. They're supposed to count 
to make a difference in the world, whether through the quiet daily witness of a faithful and gentle life or the chance given to some to speak and act in a way which reveals the gospel to many others. For all of that, we need to become strong, to face up to the challenge. That's what James believes about God. And as our guide for the spiritual life, James is going to try to get us to understand this truth about God, that God longs to create in us a faith that is strong, that is potent, that is full-grown. He's not content with a faith in us that's weak and lame, and James wants to show us how God would create it. So turn in your Bible to James chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what he writes. By the way, I'm reading out of our James guide. These are available in the gathering place, or you can get them online. Um, it's uh, the ES English Standard Version. Your version might be different. That's okay. We'll figure it out. But uh, James 1, verse 2. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So remember, we always have to remember this. James is writing to believers in Jesus. He is assuming that. Throughout the book, he is assuming you're already a believer in Jesus. So he's not going to make a case for the gospel so much as he is going to make a case for the way the gospel should affect your life, the impact that it should have on us to put our faith in Jesus. And the first thing that he says in this letter about how the gospel should affect our life is you need to understand something about trials. Now, he uses a Greek word for trials that is pretty broad. It just means hard times. It could be suffering. It could be temptations. It could be persecution. It could be just like anything that makes you kind of pause and start to second guess or abandon your faith. Anything that tempts you to, to second guess your faith. James says you need to understand that those things, those hard times, those trials, they exist for a purpose. God is trying to create something in you, and he calls it steadfastness that will create completeness. Now, some translations say uh, patience or, or perseverance, but uh, let me be clear. He's not talking about like the quality that helps us sit patiently in a waiting room. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says patience or steadfastness, it's more like the quality that helps you complete a marathon. That's what he's talking about. It is that inner churning of soul that does not ever give up. James says that's what God's trying to create in you. That sort of strength of faith. And he says trials are a part of that creation act. He continues. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, it seems like he's changed the subject here, but he really hasn't. The wisdom that he's talking about is connected to the trial. And so what he's saying is he's, he's talking about being able to understand what it is that God is doing in the midst of this difficult moment. And he says, listen, if you ask God about that, he is 
eager. He is generous. He is dying to give you insight as to what he is doing in that moment. But then he throws in this passage or the, these sentences about doubt. And it's easy to read that kind of as like this very aggressive attack on doubt. Like James is saying, don't you doubt, you weak-willed doubting. But why would God give a doubter like you anything? Like the, that's how he's talking to us. But I think when we read the Bible with that tone of voice, it says probably more about us and about the spiritual uh, tradition that we were raised in than it does actually about the biblical authors, because I don't think James is being mean here at all. I think what James is really doing here is he is just telling us the truth. He's being honest about something that he wants us to understand. Sometimes you and I doubt our security and our identity in God right? That is just true of all of us. Sometimes we doubt it. God says, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. And sometimes we're, we respond like, oh, you know, I mean, look at all this junk in my life. How could you really love someone like me, God? How could you really accept me? And we kind of project that inner insecurity that all humans carry onto the totally secure God, as if that's in him when it's really in us. Instead of trusting with confidence our identity in Christ, we project that onto God. And I think what James is saying is he's just being honest. He says, hey, in those moments, it's like you've become double-minded. It's like your mind is split into two and there's the part that has faith, but there's also the part of you that's just wrestling to accept it. One author says, it's like you're a walking civil war. Can you relate to that at all? Our heart in those moments gets tossed around by circumstances, gets tossed around by the pain that we experience, gets tossed around by the brokenness that we've experienced. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too, that walking civil war quality. And I think what, what James is trying to say to us is, listen, in those moments, it's very hard to discern what God is doing. Maybe if you were to say this in the positive uh, it, it, you would say it this way, believing you are who God says you are, even when you face trials, will help you understand what God is doing in the midst of those trials. That's what he's getting at here. He's like, th th that doubting that we all tend to do, he said, just realize that that is, that is going to undermine your soul when you come on those hard times. So believe who God says you are. Let me illustrate. Uh, Let's take a, a topic that maybe many people are experiencing these days in our world. Let's say uh, you've lost your job over the course of the summer, or you've lost a lot of income in your job over the course of the summer, um, which is a lot of people these days. If in that hardship, we allow our thoughts to kind of go to that place of, God, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this, or, you know, maybe I do, honestly. I mean, look at all the junk in my life. I keep asking God, just God, provide for me, bring this to an end. It's like he's not even listening. If he really loved me, I don't think this would be happening. Listen, those are totally normal feelings, right? We have feelings like that all the time. But feelings aren't always true. Like feelings are incredibly important. Don't minimize your feelings. But realize feelings are not facts. It's two different categories, right? 
And while we all feel initially like probably my son Carter felt in that doctor's room, like, hey, if my dad really loved me, he wouldn't let me be experiencing this. We all have that feeling. But if we embrace those feelings as truth, James is telling us, hey, it's going to be really hard. Those feelings are going to constantly hijack your ability to understand what God is doing in this hard time. Maybe take the other side of that. Uh, you know, if we put our faith in a moment like that in the truths that, hey, being out of work, that does not define me. My career is not who I am. God is present with me, even in this loss of income. Even though things are much harder right now, he's still with me. He takes no pleasure in my frustration. This is not like some uh, told you so or some divine lesson. That's not how our God is. He's promising that whatever this is, he's going to use it to shape me, and I can daily walk with him in it. And if we hold on to truths like that, James says, that's going to help you. It's going to be a foundation for you, and you'll begin to understand what he's doing in that trial. So I don't think he's being harsh. I just think in his deep love for us, James as our guide is trying to help us navigate what he knows will happen, that inner civil war that happens when we suffer through trials. And he's saying, listen, don't let yourselves be tossed around by those feelings. You are secure. You are who God says you are. Even in those hard moments, there's purpose now he continues, and it's going to look again like he changes the subject, but he's not. This is all in the same category. Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Pause right there. Again, he's, I think he's challenging the narrative that sometimes is at work within us. And he's saying, listen, don't buy this narrative that the world will tell you about your value, about what matters. And he flips it on his head, and it's like he says, listen, in the kingdom, sometimes the poor is going to be exalted, and the rich will be humiliated. And I don't think he's trying to start class warfare here. That's not what he's doing. He's just trying to help us understand that what God is trying to create in us, it cannot be judged by how well we appear to be doing. He's saying, don't, just get that out of your head. That's not what this is about. Now, we all know this, right? We, like, if I gave you a test, we would all pass this test. We know that rich people are not inherently happier, right? And we know that poor people are not inherently unhappy. Like, we all know that. But also, we're Americans. Um, and, like, there's nothing more American than the statement, if I just had a little more. Like, if I just had a little more than... The truth is, then nothing, right? If we just had a little more, then it'd be a little bit more after that. And we have this thing that we do as Americans, it's not just us, but it's especially us, where we just kind of keep moving the finish line further down the track. And we never actually cross it. It's just a little bit further. And that's why James says the rich will die in their pursuits because there's no end to that pursuit because you keep moving the finish line. And so that little bit more, little bit more, little bit more, he says they're going to die in that. And James is trying to save us from that sort of pursuit. He says that's not what your life is to be about. 
That's not what God is trying to create in you. It's just one day you'll cross that finish line. He says, God is not about creating the appearance of anything in you. He is about creating the substance of something in you that will not fade, that will be eternal, that will be a strength of faith. That's what God is about creating. And you can't judge that based on how you appear to be doing. He ends this section with this sentence. And uh, I told you last week, James is going to push us around some. Like, he's going to challenge us, right? Um, he's going to challenge us. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test... He'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You know, he's talking about suffering, but he's talking about it in ways, I, I just don't want to hear it, like it's hard to hear. Because he says, listen, you're not blessed if you don't have any trials. That's not blessing. He says, you're not blessed if you never suffer. You're not blessed if you're never tempted, if you're never persecuted. That is not blessing. You're not blessed if you find your trials easy to navigate. That's not blessing either. You're blessed if, with God's help, you are able to stand up under the trial. He says that is the sort of blessing because in that moment, then you receive something worth having. In that moment, you receive like this potency of faith because of that experience of journeying through that suffering with God. And that's the thing you really want. That's the blessing that God wants to pour into you and that ultimately you want to have. You, you won't just survive, but your faith will be strong. He says, that's what God promises you. And that's the first thing he says in his letter, guiding us in this faith. It's hard to hear, but I recognize there's a truth in it. Um, let me just end with a handful of observations about this. Uh, it, it's worth saying this. Please, I want you to hear this. James is not saying we should like trials. That's not what he's saying, right? Don't hear that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we should understand trials. He's saying we should have joy in God's purpose behind the trial. But that doesn't mean that you should like it. Listen, I know, I know that some of you are in it right now. Like, I mean, on some level, all of us are in it right now. It's just been a trying kind of season, right? But I know that some of you more so are just really in it right now. You're facing some trials that honestly would probably shake me to my core. James faced some challenges that would shake all of us to our core. And so he's not saying, hey, count it all joy. It's no big deal. Everybody suffers. It's no big deal. Just don't worry about it. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is count it joy that God is with you in that trial. Keep fighting. If you're in that fight right now, I, you may not be there, that's great, but if you are in that fight right now, if you are hurting, if you are grieving, if you are sick and broken, if you are frustrated, I know it's a fight. And, and listen, it is okay not to like the fight. But hating the trial is different than believing that God has abandoned you, right? It's okay to hate the trial, 
but God has not abandoned you. Not only has he not abandoned you, but he is creating something in you that will last eternally, a sort of strength. And I know it doesn't feel that way right now. James knows it doesn't feel that way right now. That's why he wrote this. It's because he was writing to people and he realized it probably doesn't feel this way right now. So I need to tell them that God is creating something in them worth having. He knows it's hard. Don't give up that hope. Second observation. When we think about growth, when we think about this journey that we're on with God, uh, we need to understand something, that mature believers, like people who are figuring this thing out of walking with Jesus, mature believers don't fight for a life of ease and comfort. They fight for a life of purpose. We all love ease and comfort, right? We're human. We love it. But purpose is what we're actually after. And I think, again, in America, we have to get over this assumption that like God's love and prosperity and comfort are somehow connected. We just, we connect those all the time. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've read the whole Bible. You cannot get there from the scriptures. Like you just can't. What the Bible teaches is that God shows his love by gifting us with divine purpose, with forgiveness, with acceptance, with all this really great stuff. But that doesn't mean that he makes life easy or comfortable. We shouldn't be like little children who are angry at their father because he won't give us candy for every meal. Like this, this assumption um, I, I know this, this might sound harsh, but just bear with me. This assumption that if someone loves you, they would never allow you to experience something uncomfortable, it is just false. That is not love. It's definitely not biblical. But that assumption's in me, right? I bet it's in you too, that if God really loved me, then there would not be that discomfort, James is trying to get us to understand, listen, God's love, it is a purposeful love. He is deeply generous. He is a deeply generous God, but he is not a patronizing God who wastes our time by giving us everything we want. That's not who he's ever been. Instead, he pours into us things that will create a potent faith that is healthy and that, is, that will last. And James is wanting us to turn the page and understand that's what our Heavenly Father is always about. Last thing I'll, I'll mention, just an observation about this passage, and I'll close with this. Um, sometimes remaining steadfast in our faith and embracing these purposes of God it just means that we stand in the trial. We just stand. I love the phrase James uses, stood the test, because uh, I think sometimes all you can do is just stand there, right? Sometimes that is surprisingly hard, to just stand up under it. Our culture teaches us to flee hard things. Our culture teaches us that hard things should be escaped James is trying to teach us sometimes you just got to stay in it. Sometimes you just got to stand with God in it. Just stand there. So, a couple of years ago, um, I took my son Carter uh, to Ethiopia. And when you go overseas, you got to get all sorts of vaccinations because you're exposed to all sorts of new viruses and stuff like that. Um, and only now, Carter was a teenager when I, I took him. And 
Uh, he was, he's as big as I am now, right? And as hard as it was to hold Carter down when he was four or five, I have zero chance right now. In fact, he could probably hold me down. There'd be nothing I could do about it. I don't know. Um, he's just a big kid. He's strong. Um, so we go to the doctor. I'm a little nervous because I'm remembering this. Uh, but he's a man. He understands the purpose behind shots. We go to the doctor. The nurse walks in holding the needles like this. Why do they do Like you should hide them and bring them out at the last second, right? But she walks in with the needles. Um, and uh, before I could say anything, she says, okay, who's first? And I'm getting ready to go because when you're dad, like you're always first. So you got to do that. And, uh, but Carter just real quick rolls up his sleeve and says, I'll go. No big deal, Right? And I had this flashback to when he was four or five. And I wish I could have gone back in time to that uh, little four or five-year-old Carter and say, son, do you know that one day you're going to be like a man? You're going to be like such a big man. This thing that now just fills your heart with fear and terror is going to be no big deal. I'm just going to do it. Carter's 19 today. He is a full-grown man. I see him do hard things like all the time. And I look at him sometimes and I think, you know, that actually is the dream. Like, I, I, I loved when he was four or five. I loved when he let me hold him and he'd cry in my arms. But I didn't want to have a perpetual five-year-old. I was trying to raise a man. That's what I was aimed at. I was trying to raise a man who was strong enough to handle this life. That's why, as his parents, we let him experience uncomfortable things like shots. And I think I just want you to consider that maybe this is what God is doing here in you. He is trying to grow you into something that is strong and purposeful, something that you'd hardly believe it if I could tell you that one day in your faith you'd be this strong. We're able to tolerate uncomfortable things to pursue what God has for us. This is what we need to know about our Heavenly Father is He doesn't want to have perpetual five-year-old believers. He wants in us strength, and that uh, means that He is sometimes going to allow in us uncomfortable things. We don't have to like that but sometimes we have to be willing to roll up our sleeve and just stand there and stay in it with him. James is a good guide. He wants our faith to change. It has totally changed his life. He wants it to change ours. And so he starts this guidance with this amazing truth. God will use things in our life that we may not understand, things in our life we may not like, to create in us a sort of completeness that we were destined for, that we long for? Would we expect anything else from a God who loves us like a father? I want to pray over us. Um, I want to just ask this. Would you stand where you are? Even if you're at home, even if you're at FH, stand up with me. I just want to ask if you're in it right now, if you're feeling one of those trials, one of those hard times, I want to pray over you. Maybe just hold your hands out if you would feel comfortable doing that. And let me pray this prayer over you. 
Lord, we come to you with all these trials that we're holding, all this stuff we're trying to stand up under. We know that you see it. We know that you take no joy in our pain. And so God, whatever that trial is, we just wanna trust you with it, that there is purpose in it, that there's something that you're creating in us that we desperately need, that you're not punishing us, but that you're building us. And we put all of our faith in that truth, Lord. We trust you with it. We love you.